House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Okay, welcome back. And uh, joining us now is uh, Robert Murch, or Murch as you like to be called. Um, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me here. No, oh, I'm doing well, doing well. No, it's a pleasure to have you. It's uh it's an interesting subject. Um, let's let's start out with you a little bit. Um, how did you get interested in uh, Ouija and uh, just the whole talking board? Sure. So um, you know, I was <laughs> I had a really interesting childhood, as I'm sure everyone does. But uh, I was raised Orthodox Jew, and even though I don't look like that now, if people see pictures of me on the net, you know, shaved head, tattoos, earrings. Not what you think of as Orthodox, but uh, I was raised that way. And uh, in any Orthodox religion, you're raised uh, with kind of a, a very deep-seated belief in the supernatural, ghosts, demons, um, anything, really. It's, it's just all part of the story. So uh, you're not necessarily, I'd say, uh, afraid of it, or it's not as unknown to you. It's not as unfamiliar. Uh, my grandmother, who we lived with for a little while, <laughs> Uh, was a real funny lady. She loved science fiction. She loved Creature Double Feature. And she loved horror movies and loved to take me to everything my mother told me not to go to. So, um, 1986, she took me to a movie that changed my life, and that was Wishboard by Kevin Tenney, who is um, my kind of childhood hero, who, by the way, just a few weeks ago, I actually got to meet face-to-face after all of these years while I was in L.A., so that was a pretty cool sit-down meeting. But um, she took me to this movie, and for people who don't know or haven't seen which board, if you're into talking boards or just have any really strong feeling, you should see this movie. It's the reason most people feel the way they feel about Ouija boards. And um, he did a brilliant job of taking a lot of these Ouija-stitions, as we call them, or urban legends, and and weaving them into um, a tale that we believe and pass on today. So it's it's a a very kind of powerful movie in the sense that it it, it changed things and kind of gave uh, the Ouija board some roots when it didn't necessarily have it yet. And uh, I then went to college. That movie kind of always stuck in the back of my head. And uh, I had three roommates all three roommates decided to go to a fraternity. And I knew if I joined a fraternity, I wouldn't graduate college. I just knew myself. So I figured they could go to the fraternity. I would study. I could go to their parties, have fun, but still, you know, have a study place. And uh, when they went to rush for their fraternity, one of the things they had to do was treasure hunt. And on that list was an old Ouija board. And uh, I used to go antiquing flea marketing, yard selling, you name it, uh, with my dad every weekend for my whole life. So I went to University of New Hampshire. It was easy to come home on the weekends to Boston, and I would hit the flea markets and antique stores. And when I was done, I realized I had 10 different Ouija boards, and I thought, how can that be? Isn't there only one Ouija board? How can these be totally different, not different versions, just different boards, different brands? And... Um, that struck me as odd. So, uh, you know, again, we're going back, it's crazy to think about, but kind of pre-internet, not much was on the internet at the time, 1992, and I had to go to the library. 
uh, in the, uh, you know, college library and open up a Funkin' Wagnalls uh, encyclopedia or a Britannica. And every time I did, I would look up the Ouija board. Where did it come from? And every single encyclopedia had a different story. And I say story because today we know none of them were true. <laughs> and I thought, it's really weird. How can everyone know about the Ouija board? How can everyone have a story? How can everyone know immediately when you show them what it is? You don't have to explain to them. I've never, ever in the world had to say, do you know what a Ouija board is or do you know what this is? And they know what it is, but no one knows where it comes from. How can that be? And, and that basically set me off into a you know two-decade-plus journey to track down uh, the Ouija board story, its urban legends, its myths, uh, as well as its real history. And that, that's had me flying all over the world and uh, a lot in this country, <laughs> meeting and uh, digging out the descendants of those people who were the originators of the Ouija board or the people who brought it to the public. And uh, that's had me had amazing opportunities to work with some really incredibly talented people and collaborate. And so for, for anyone who does any work at all, whether genealogy work or... Um, just any research, you can't do it by yourself. So I have made uh, hundreds of friends and, and some interesting colleagues and had some just, some of the stories of finding these things out are far more fascinating than the story I was able to verify. So uh, it, it's just been an awesome journey, which has kind of culminated in, as I'm talking to you, the uh, coming out of a, a Ouija movie. So it's right. pretty neat. Well, that's pretty interesting. So what do you think the thing is that that holds people's attention? I mean, in the sense that you said, like you said, you can show it to anybody or bring one out or ask someone what it is, and people know what, what it is, even though they probably have mm-hmm. never really used one. Yeah, I, I think, so if we look back, the Ouija board turned 125 this year in April. 125. 125 years ago in April, the Ouija board got its mysterious name. And it's a name, so it set it really apart from all the other talking boards. That name was able to be mass manufactured and it had a story. And I think that if we look at all of the paranormal world and we see what happens with things, and, and I mean, just think of that, you could probably name off five right away, different gadgets that you might have either used or heard about or seen on television that people use to kind of go ghost hunting or kind of try to see what's out there. And it's funny because the Ouija board is the only one that we're still using and talking about 125 years later. So how did something so simple, you know, whether today it's cardboard and plastic or whether it's yesterday made of wood, how can that be that it's, it's, it's kind of lasted? And, and I think it does something unique that these other things don't. And, and one of those things is just the experience. So today we have like K2 meters or um, electromagnetic field readers, and we have EVP recorders where people will ask if there's anyone there and then hope that they'll get some answer recorded on their um, machine. Now, Today, machines make people feel much safer and also kind of push them apart from the experience. Like You can put the thing down, walk away, ask your question, see if it records or see if it blinks in response to you. But the Ouija board you are part of, 
no matter what anyone says, the Ouija board doesn't work without you. You have to be touching it. You have to see it. So if you believe that it's using your subconscious, then you still need your eyes. You still need your hands. If you believe that you're talking to something other than you, outside of you, same thing. Then this spirit, this entity from outside is guiding your hands. still need to see. still needs your hands. And you're touching it, and you hear it move, you feel it move, you see it. You're part of the communication. This communication device does not work without you. And it's very eerie because it's a collaborative thing. You're using it with multiple people. When, when Ouija first came out in 1890, it was definitely uh, sold as an amusement, a party game, something to be done with multiple people. And, and think of why in a little bit. You know, if you were going to spend a dollar or a dollar fifty in 1890, that's a lot of money, right? So it had to be something the entire family would enjoy, something everyone could sit down and do. And, and that's really what Ouija was. So as I always make a joke, you know, at one time, Ouija was family fun night, not family fright night like it is today. Yeah. Though people were always, this isn't to say that there was a switch or um, that there was some big thing that happened. There was always a segment of the population that did not like the Ouija board, but it just wasn't as vocal as it is today. So now today with Hollywood having used the board to show demonic possession, to show some really scary stuff over the years, yeah, the public consciousness seems to be more towards the demonic and something awful and scary. That belief plays into why it's still here. So today, 125 years later, generation and generation and generation of people talking and telling their stories has now created Ouija. So Ouija has its own life now. It has its own stuff that people talk about, you know, how to get rid of the board, how not to get rid of the board, what happens when you try to get rid of it, what happens when you burn it. All of these things keep it alive and pass to the next generation. And what I was um, pleasantly surprised and really cool about was this movie was such a box office success because it has now brought another generation to the board, which had the movie been an incredible bomb, would not have helped that. And my fear in tracking this and researching it has always been, what is the fate of a board game like Ouija in the world of digital iPads and iPhones and who's going to want to use this when you can swipe? Well, thanks to this movie by Universal, Hasbro, Styles and White, Blumhouse, an entire generation is going out buying them. In fact, uh, Google had shown after the movie leading up to Christmas, the Ouija board was one of the top five Christmas gifts and searching it, researching it and trying to find it up to 300%. Fantastic. <laughs> well, maybe there'll be an app for iPad one day. <laughs> there are, there are already. They both came out real early. There's, there's probably 10 or 15 for your phone and your iPad. Oh God. You know, and I think people uh, feel out of control with a talking board or a Ouija because they don't really know what it's about, and uh, you have you have more control over like a K two meter, let's say. Well, I think if you think you do, yeah, that's this it. is the yeah. beauty, you know, right? It's all belief. So your belief system, what you believe, how you believe how you feel, what you bring to the table the day you decide to use a talking board or a Ouija board, all of that, all of it, impacts how that session goes, along with 
who you're using it with, where you're using it. All of these things are triggers and set us off. So, you know, some people say it's better to use a board that's never been opened. Use a brand new one. People's energy aren't inside of it. Um, other people will say, no, no, you have to use an old one because, you know, the more it's been used and the more people have made contact, the better it works. You know, they're all just personal choices. But, um, yeah, it's really belief because, as I tell people all the time, they'll say, well, you don't know what you're contacting. You don't know what door you're opening when you use a talking board. And I start laughing. I'm like, wait a minute. So you just picked up the K2 meter. You stuck it on the floor and walked away. And you said, is there anyone here? Does anyone have any messages for us? I'm like, okay, so Ouija board session. And the thing's blinking to answer. And I'm thinking, okay, I can't make that thing blink on command. No matter how hard I try, I just can't do it. This thing, whatever we're talking to, seems to be making it blink when we ask it to. So who's to say he can't pick that up and hock it at our heads? I don't know what the rules are. But for some reason, with digital devices, we feel safe. We feel like the technology keeps us a step apart from whatever we're communicating with. And I, I really like um, a conversation I had a few years ago with Lorraine Warren, who, as we know, is very much against Ouija boards, all kinds of spare communication devices. And in our you know six- to eight-hour interview we had together, um, we, we actually agreed on a lot more than we disagreed on, which was to say the Ouija board is no more dangerous than any spirit communication device you use, even if it's just calling out to something, because the danger is made when in the act of conjuring. You are asking something to communicate with you. You are asking something and giving something permission to talk to you, whatever that is. That's where the door is opened. What you use is just a personal choice, you know. Um, but if you believe that Ouija boards are more dangerous, I guarantee you, you're going to have a more dangerous session. But if, if you kind of see it as, okay, well, this is just the telephone I'm using. And, and I've made this argument since, you know, 20 years ago. Um, only I've had to update it with iPhones. <laughs> so, you know, today we're on the phone. It's a big conversation. We get, you know, into a fight. We disagree. We call each other names. We threaten each other. We hang up the phone. You don't take your iPhone, throw it out the window, and say, we'll never have another one of these in my house again. That happens with the Ouija board, and that's exactly what happens. We give the Ouija board and the talking board power. We don't give to any spirit communication device. And, and we say that there are attachments or things that can kind of possessing inanimate objects, but that's so rare. And yet, with the Ouija, we believe this to be common. And so, it's a really interesting thing. And again, by giving it that power, we've done something unique. We have created something unlike anything that's come before or after. There's a, quite a few different um, myths. And so, first of all, where did Ouija get its name? Great. So it will perfect. We'll go back a little bit further. So talking boards pop up out of the spiritualist movement uh, in 1886 in Ohio. Now, we know from 1848 when the spiritualists or the modern American spiritualist movement begins in Hydesville, New York, that they were using lots of other type of, um, we'll say, alphabet pointing devices, including just laying out alphabet cards and asking a spirit to make a knock as we pointed towards the letters, and when we hit the right letter, it would knock, and then we do it again and again and again. So that was right from the beginning. 
And then there were devices that would be used where you put your hand on them and the pointer would point out letters. What we call dial plate devices. Those came up. They never really caught on because they were expensive. And um, they just never had the market appeal. And then we also know real early on uh, they had planchettes. So for your listeners, if they don't know, the planchette is a device, and it is the device that's used as the message indicator for the region board today. But at around 1850 in France, it was its own device. It was an automatic writer. And that was the heart was much bigger. It had two wheels on the bottom, and it had a hole at the top, not like the viewing hole, but just a hole small enough to fit a pencil. You put that pencil in it, you place your hands on the top over the wheels, and you'd ask the spirits a question, and it would write out the answer. Your hand would write out the answer, guided by the spirits. So we had all of those things. And in 1886, the planchette, the alphabet pointing, um, collide to create the talking board. Someone decides to uh, make a board, take the planchette, and not put a pencil in it and just use it as a pointer. Boom, the talking board is born. We know it existed probably a little bit before then, but that's when it leaks into pop culture, when the New York Tribune takes this article and reprints it, gets reprinted all over the world. I mean all over the world. Sydney, London, you imagine, Paris. It goes everywhere. The new planchette, the talking board, is sweeping northern Ohio. Four years later... It's named in Baltimore. But there's two gentlemen named uh, Charles Kennard and E.C. Resch that claim to invent the board that would become Ouija, also in 1886, in Chestertown, Maryland. So according to Charles Kennard, the man who spent his dying day uh, claiming that he invented it, comes up with the idea that he says that one day he was sitting in his kitchen of his new house and his mind was blank. He tips over his teacup puts it on a breadboard, and realizes his hands are moving it around, but he's not consciously telling them to move. So he puts some letters and numbers on it, and it starts spelling out answers, and he's amazed. And according to him, he takes it to his uh, office mate, E.C. Resch, who is a undertaker, he's a coffin maker, he's a furniture maker, instrument maker, and says, can you make me some of these? And he does according to him, and they share them with the neighbors. They're very popular. Charles Kennard says, let's go into business. And you see Resch, according to him, says, no, you know, I'm not really interested. I've kind of got a lot going on, my own businesses. I don't really see this being successful, so no thanks. And Charles Kennard leaves to Baltimore in 1890. Now, E.C. Resch would also claim and, and prove to this company that Charles Kennard is going to start that it was actually him who invented it. We don't know what that proof is. We have no idea. We're going back a long time, and it's he said, she said. But um, we do know Charles Kennard goes to Baltimore, and he meets up with a man named Elijah Bond, who is a fellow Mason, and sees the future in this talking board, believes that people would buy a mass-manufactured one instead of a homemade talking board, which was what people were doing up until then. So um, his friend Elijah Bond works on a patent, patents it, and one night in April of 1890, the corner of Charles Street and Center Street, Baltimore, there's Elijah Bond, Charles Kennard, Elijah Bond's sister-in-law, who he considers a strong medium named Helen Peters, 
all sitting at this boarding house. Charles Kennard says, you know, we haven't settled on a name yet. Since it's helped us on so many other things, let's ask it what it wants to be called. And so with Helen Peters at the board, she asks, it answers, O-U-I-J-A. And when they ask what that means, the board answers, good luck. And the Ouija, the Egyptian luck board is born. Now, what's really interesting about that is Charles Kennard isn't really a fool. He, he's very smart, very good businessman, and he, he doesn't, he's skeptical. He, he, he's been into the psychical research for a long time, but he doesn't just believe everything he sees. And um, right after that session, Helen Peters takes off a necklace, and there's a locket on it, and she shows it to them. It has a figure of a woman, and it says, Ouija. And so he says, well, wait a minute, were you thinking about that while we were asking the board? And she said, no, not at all. And so they adopted the word, and Ouija, the Egyptian luck board, was born. And why did they call it the Egyptian luck board? Well, in 1890, that was seen as very mystical to Americans. You know, Egypt was far, far away, and there were reports out of all these discoveries from the Valley of the Kings. And so, you know, they said, okay, well, we just sound Egyptian. That's mystical. Let's use that. But um, people ask, well, how, if the word was invented in 1890, how is Helen Peters wearing a necklace with it on it? And we don't know. And we think we have an answer, but we just don't know until we find this locket. And uh, we believe that she was wearing a locket that actually says Rita, O-U-D-I-A. One letter difference, but it makes all the difference in the world because Weta was a famous authoress at the time. And uh, in 1890, not everyone agreed that women should read. But Weta wrote specifically for women. And, um, you know, it, it, it isn't unheard of for people to wear things um, when they kind of relate to people that they're really into, like wearing a locket with her name on it. And we, we do know that people did carry pictures with her name on it. And her signature Weta was seen as somewhat of a, a kind of kind of membership card kind of thing. And so we think that maybe she was wearing a locket for Weta and that Weta is actually a misspelling. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But we know that it got its name. Um, and actually, I'm, right now, I'm working with the city to have a plaque put on the building because it still stands where the Ouija got its name 125 years ago. And that will be part of... Uh, WijaCon that we're celebrating in Baltimore, uh, April twenty third to the twenty fifth. Uh, what is WijaCon like? What what is it you guys are going to do there? Well, we're going to explore the whole thing um, from nuts to bolts, and uh, we're going to have people talk historically. We're going to have people talk about their beliefs. So we're going to have people who believe that you can actually make contact with a demonic entity from the Ouija board and talk about their experiences. Uh, we're going to have people who research and written about it, like Rosemary Guiley. Uh, we're going to have people who believe um, it, it opens the door to your higher self, like Karen Dahlman, and uh, you know, long-time um, paranormal investigators like Jeff Belanger is a big part of it. He's going to be emceeing it. And Brandon Hodge, I believe you had him on the show. He's going to be there speaking. I'll be speaking. Um, Dave Schrader from Darkness Radio. He's he's listened to a lot of these stories over the years. So we really want to investigate this and and present what is the Ouija board from kind of uh, all the way around. We don't want to stick with one thing. We kind of want to see what it's like. And, and it's basically celebrating Ouija's 125th anniversary in the city where it was made. 
So it will take place in Baltimore, and uh, it's put on by the Talking Board Historical Society, and uh, it's a nonprofit. So all the money that's going towards just goes towards us putting in things like headstones for those people who had something to do with the talking board and uh, don't have one, or putting up these monuments and plaques on buildings. That's great. And so how do people get tickets for that? So they go to tbhs.org, so that's talkingboardhistoricalsociety.org. They will go right to it, and um, you'll see Wichicon. You can buy tickets right through the website, and uh, there's a special price for the hotel, it's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be people like Chip Coffee will be there. He will be uh, holding kind of a, a seance where we will try to reach whatever means Ouija 125 years ago. We're going to see if we can make contact all those years later. Why don't you uh, also, when we go back, why would they think a talking board would be something you could market to the common family? Um, like what? What was different about society? Like, how, did, did they treat death differently, or was it? What was? What was the idea back then? Right. So I'm, I'm often reminded that you know, there's some things never change. Death is the great equalizer. Right. We are all going to die, um, no matter what, rich or poor, no matter how you take care of yourself. You're going to meet your maker, and uh, the same thing happened back then. But the difference was the climate was different. Right. So the things that were around them were a little bit more severe. And just to paint the picture, you're coming off the Civil War, you know, a time when there was just such massive, massive, pervasive death in the country that touched us in a way that no war or um, epidemic has since. So everyone lost a father, a son, a husband, a grandfather, a nephew. And they didn't just have to deal with the death had to deal with the mystery of what happened because often so many of these people were killed on the battlefield and no one knew who they were. And so they just went away and didn't come back. And, you know, we also lived in a time back then where epidemics uh, swept pretty quickly and killed a lot more than they do in our kind of modern age of immunizations and shots and different things. Not to say we can't have one, which is very, we just went through this Ebola thing, so we all know that it can happen and I, I think... Um, you know, we're seeing some more things pop up, but you know, it wasn't uncommon for someone to have 12 children and lose six of them. And back then, to remember them, you would take photographs of the dead child with your live child, and you'd hang it on the wall to remember them. It, it just death was so pervasive that there was no hiding it, or it was harder to to live in denial like we did do today. And so today. You know, we live in a very kind of um, clean world where we don't like death, we have plastic surgery, we don't even want to look old, we do everything we can to live longer, exercise, healthier. Um, you know, death was just as traumatic as it is today, but it was just so much around you. And, and then you also have to put it with the time of, um, so you're having a lot of death, but you don't have like, a lot of electricity, right? You don't have uh, phones. You don't have all the things that connect us. So you have a lot of quiet time once the sun goes down. And so talking to dead people wasn't uncommon. You know, again, it's so around you. And there's no getting away from it. You know, it's a little kid. You know, eight years old, you're working. 
it's not like today where we children have childhoods that we protect them from. You know, we want them to be able to be kids as long as they can. Well, childhood didn't last very long back then. And so the early photo, I mean, if you look at some of the first box covers of the Kenner Novelty Company who first manufactured the Ouija board, you see people from a little kid holding a teddy bear to an older person, a grandmother, grandfather, to a couple playing all around the table. It was just seen as something that people could do. So, you know, the things that are the same are overwhelming loss and questions that can't be answered by anything. And as we get older, we all experience this. This is something that just, it doesn't change through time. We lose people, and we lose people we love, and we lose them suddenly. And maybe we never got to say goodbye. Maybe the last thing we said was something horrible because we were mad or irritated or in a bad mood, and we never got to explain ourselves, you know, and apologize. And all of those things, that lasted, that's the scenes it was back then. So why do people at all try to make contact with the dead? Because we don't want to lose the people we love. You know, that's never going to change. And, you know, since we haven't been able to prove what happens after you die, people are playing the Ouija board 125 years. And as I, as I make a joke, why is it still so popular after all of these years? You know, well, for 1995, you get an unlimited calling plan to the other side. No roaming, no overages. <laughs> it's just there. And so why do people still buy it? Because what if it does work? What if something so simple, what if the answer was always inside of you and the door you needed to open to reach that loved one or experiment with what happens after you die was there the whole time and all you needed was something to point out letters and numbers? Amazing. Yeah. And, you know, you know, again, because death touches us all, we all carry this experience. This is a shared experience all of humanity deals with. Right. And so, how does it? But how does it take in with? Um, you know, I I I've heard a lot of comments from people and been in the business. And uh, how do you think it relates to witchcraft or demons and devils and stuff? Because there's people that sort of believe that. Well, you know, it, some of the we know that uh, in 1886, the W.S. Reed Toy Company sent President Grover Cleveland what they called the Witch Board. So. Anything mystical, we throw those names on, whole things. We throw symbols on them that we look mystical and scary. We call them witch things, witch boards, witching rods. No, we'll call all, we make up all kinds of names and put them on there. And again, they make for great entertainment. So television, movies. Talking boards are wonderful ways to depict a very tense kind of meeting that's going on. And then if something really bad happens, we can say the board opened the door to something bad. It let in some evil. And now we have to battle it back. And, and that's, that's, you know, the movies. In, in the real world, um, I think people should need to think about these numbers. And, and again, it doesn't matter. And I'm not trying to tell people they should play the Ouija board. If you're scared, if it bothers you, if you've had a bad experience, don't play it. Like, nothing in the world is worth making yourself upset over. Certainly not a game. But if you are interested in it and you're nervous, let me kind of put it into perspective. The company's never released all their numbers, sales numbers. But if you just if you think that Ouija boards are dangerous and that they often lead to something bad, let's just look at the numbers. So from 1967 to 2004, 
1967 was the first year, full year that Parker Brothers made the Ouija board. So from 67, 2004, 13 million Ouija boards were made. 13 million. Just between 67 and 2004. Let's stretch that out. 1890 to 2015. Millions and millions and millions. Now, how many really bad stories have you heard of the Ouija board? I bet if we put them statistically next to each other, it would do better than car crashes. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the facts are because it's what people believe. If people believe these things are bad and evil, they will tell these stories, people will believe them, they will have bad experiences. It's like a, you know, a cycle that gets made. And it's part of its mystery. That, and, and that's why kids do it, right? It's scary. Why do we do anything as kids? Because yeah. we're like being scared. We don't know what we're dealing with. Even today, adults, you'll have people who say it's idiot motor response, but what if it's not? What if this one time you actually make contact with something else? And that's not to say that talking with your subconscious mind isn't as powerful or amazing as anything else. I mean, can you imagine our brains are so complex that we can trick ourselves to having a conversation with ourselves and not know it? That's pretty amazing. And, you know, and I think a lot of it also comes from, uh, right now it's coming from popular TV, uh, paranormal shows and mediums and people on the shows. I've seen it several times where they've been on and, oh, you know, they they always ask the person that has the haunting problem, did you play on the Ouija board? And and then they say yes, and it's like, well, that's probably why. You've let someone in. That's right. Anyway, and then they proceed to walk into the house, pull out their EVP recorders and say, is there anyone here? Do you have a message for me? Tell us why you're here. It's like, wait a minute, isn't that just what they did with the Ouija board? <laughs> yeah. But, it, you know, it's so, and I always laugh. It, this happened to me. Square off happened to me so 20 plus years ago, you know, when I started doing this stuff. Um, you know, late, many years later, I, um, Jeff Bollinger said, hey, you know, I think you've got something here with this Ouija board thing. It's very niche. You should really come to some of these conferences and speak about it. And so he got me my first gig um, with the Ghost Hunters, the Beyond the Ra- uh, Reality events. Amy Bruni gave me my first break. Uh, to come up to the Mount Washington Hotel and Resort and speak. But originally, I wasn't allowed to stay. So even just being a guy who loved Ouija boards was scary enough to their attendees where I could come and talk, but I couldn't stay and hang out with them. And then the next year I could come, and uh, you know, but I couldn't bring any boards. And then I could bring some old boards and show. We at Wondery, creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluencers, and Over My Dead Body, go deeper into complex true crime stories to give you an inside look at the facts. And now we're launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Wondery's Exhibit C gives you the detective's lens of all of the evidence, taking you step-by-step through the twists and turns of each true crime case. Join the Exhibit C online community to access exclusive show merchandise, member-only content, and to hear directly from top criminal and social justice experts, witnesses, and investigators as they take us beyond the evidence and into the case file. Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook or find us on the web at WonderyExhibitC.com and listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music. Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Did you know you can turn loyal listeners into paying fans with podcast subscriptions? 
ACAST Plus is the simplest and easiest way to launch subscriptions for your show. It comes with all the tools you need to offer listeners ad-free streams, bonus content, and much more across multiple podcast apps. And it works, too. We've seen creators increase revenues by 25% using ACAST Plus. To find out more, visit ACAST.com slash ACAST Plus. It just took a long time. You know, even in, if we look at the paranormal community as an extension of or an outgrowth of the spiritualist movement, so the spiritualist movement are the ones who invented talking boards. That's where they came from. And now the very community where they came from and that used them in their investigations, they are now the bad thing. And so it's a really fascinating thing to happen. But as you're watching now, you see people asking more questions. That's kind of being broken. You see more and more paranormal groups wanting to have the dialogue about uh, a Ouija board. And are they really that bad? Are they really any different? Like, let's really talk about this. And and even getting places that swear they'd never let people use Ouija boards and are starting to open. So I, I feel like the pendulum is swinging back a bit to where people are using more of a rational thought to it. Um, you know, again, I'm not saying anything bad can't happen. But if there's demonic possession, why couldn't a demon, you know, uh, possess you through a Ouija board? But then I'm worried in general, not like, oh, you know, I mean, what are we saying? That demons are just sitting there waiting, hoping to God some kid picks up a Ouija board, and when they do, they're like, aha! Like, yeah. I just don't, I don't subscribe to that. I believe that there are probably bad things out there, and that if you are open to them, they tend to, you find them and they find you. But I don't think any uh, spirit communication tool is any more dangerous than the other. That's just us making ourselves feel better. That's just us telling us, oh, well, if we do this, it's okay. That just gives us, like, purpose and direction. When, when really, even though people have been investigating this phenomenon for thousands of years, we are no closer to knowing what really happens. Yeah. when you die. Yeah, and it's not just the board. And and so many of the rules you hear are really man-made, right? There's no... We have no evidence of any rules that people come up with. Well, the, the, the only rules were the original ones, and, and you know, they quickly realized that the, uh, the Ouija board in Victorian times broke Victorian norms in that men and women were not supposed to be alone in a room together. They weren't supposed to be touching so the Ouija board broke some pretty great date things for people in the Victorian times. You would wait till night. You'd light candles because you didn't have any other lights. And the Ouija board would lay on your knees so your knees were touching and then your fingers were touching. Why do you think the Ouija board was so popular? It was an amazing date game. And Norman Rockwell captures that in May of 1920. A cover of the um, you know Saturday Evening Post shows a man and a woman playing right on the cover because that's how popular the Ouija board was, that he saw it everywhere. But if you look at that painting, he got it completely right. They're sitting there, their knees are touching, the board is on top of them, their fingers are touching, she's looking off up into the ether world, he has a grin on his face and he's looking at her blouse. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Yeah. <laughs> Same story. Same story, different time. Exactly. Uh, people uh, don't change. And, no. and people don't, you know, again, the reason why people use them. So, yes, the Ouija board was always the Ouija proper as a brand and, it, you know, its own thing has always been sold as an amusement and game, always. But it was clearly came out of these talking boards that were always meant to speak to the dead. That's how it's always been. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, when, when I throw out those numbers to people, 
it's to show people that, you know, it, it, nothing's changed, right? Like, people still use the Ouija board to try to talk to ghosts. That's, that's how it is. That's how it's supposed to be. In fact, yeah. for many years, people might remember the um, slogan of Parker Brothers was, it's just a game, isn't it? Well, today, and so last year, when they came up with their new board, they changed that. They took away that slogan, and when you open up the box, the thing that you see and read is, um, do not play the Ouija board if you believe it's just a game. So they really switched back to its roots, like what it was really used for. So, you know, again, but just for people to think, if you believe the Ouija board is so bad, people stay away from them. But think in your head, millions and millions and millions have been sold how many stories have you really heard that are real, not just someone saying, oh, my God, my mother's best friend's cousin next to our neighbor used to be too bored and went crazy. Yeah. But, you well, know, you know she might have been crazy on her own. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, you just don't know. And and a lot of the movies have got an influence. I mean, in the sense, you know, Exorcist, right, um, mm-hmm. with Reagan playing on the board. It, it's only a short segment, but people hold on to that. Well, you know, what happened, what's happened is we look back, and I, you know, I'm really guilty of that myself. We, we look back, and I, I want to see the first the change that happened. And The Exorcist does something unique, different than all the other movies, where it shows a girl playing by herself. She then later becomes possessed. You know, never in the movie did they, does the priest, does anyone say, oh, my God, you're playing the Ouija board. That's what happened. But it's very clear that it's easy to pull that out of it. Oh, she was playing by herself she became possessed. And so it wasn't an overnight change. But after that movie, more and more movies, until almost all of them started showing use a Ouija board, demonic possession. You know, it's just, it's like I said, it's so easy. It's a great visual tool to show it, that you're playing with something simple. I mean, the exorcist kind of did for the Ouija board what um, Alfred Hitchcock did to the shower scene. But this is looking back. This isn't like, this was not so apparent at the time this happened. This is just looking back, it's easy to see this. That, you know, so millions of people had Ouija boards in their house, uh, sitting next to their game of life, their monopoly, it's everywhere. But suddenly the seed is planted that these things could be evil. And that you have something evil in your toy room. This most innocuous game, you've got like letters and numbers, suddenly this thing is dangerous. And so people, you know, over time, after that movie came out, other movies started to pick up on the scene and then kind of snowballed. Um, then all of a sudden people were like, oh, get these out of my house. But I mean, for most of the Ouija board's life, most of its 125 years, it sat pretty undisturbed in people's closets. Yeah, just another one of those games that got put away. And, exactly, uh, and that's what happens. And you know, again, so for other people who say, oh, I had this horrible experience, it was terrible, and I'll say, well, tell me about it, I want to hear. And they'll say, it was horrible. We were playing the Ouija board, and we started to hear noises, and the lights went out, and the Ouija board told me when and how I was going to die. And I said, wow, that's that's pretty, you know, that's pretty traumatic, yeah. Well, what were you asking the Ouija board when it did that? And I'll say, well, we asked it when I was going to die and how I was going <laughs> to die. And then I start laughing and say, okay, well, <laughs> um, personally... When I use the Ouija board, I ask for the lottery numbers, which, by the way, did not give me those mega millions that just happened, so <laughs> bad Ouija. But, I, you know, for people who don't want to have a bad experience, my advice is always don't ask questions you don't want to hear or that are going to scare you. You're just going to be scared. And then, 
you got the answer you wanted and suddenly that's a bad experience. You know, again, what happens is people get scared and then want out, you know? So there's a way to avoid that. Don't ask those things. You want to play with the Ouija board? Find partners you can trust. Someone you know you can have a good time with that if you get freaked out, you can stop. They're not going to push you. You believe that aren't consciously pushing it. It's fun to experiment with stuff, but just be smart about it. Start to get freaked out. It says things that bother you. You just put it away. Done. You can always walk away. You're in control. A, a game is not in control. You are the person. You make the decisions. You decide whether you keep playing or not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think people like to have an item to blame bad things on, right? Um, so Absolutely. The Ouija board is a wonderful scapegoat for all of our decisions. So we've decided to contact something, suddenly it goes bad, it's not our fault, it's the board. If we get the board out of the house, then we get the evil out of the house. It's like, you know, again, but now we've given the Ouija board power. We've needed something unlike any of these other devices we use. And so now it has its own life, you know? And, and that's a fascinating thing. When, you're, when you give things power in your mind, it's real. Belief is real, you know? Tell it to anyone who goes to organized religion. There is no proof that people, and you can argue, well, there is, but I mean, there's, there's no scientific proof that any of this stuff in the Bible is real. But there's belief, and belief causes millions if not billions of people to fight wars and kill each other over them. Right. Belief is real. So if you believe the Ouija board can talk to spirits, guess what? You do. Yeah. No doubt about it in my mind. It's real. And so that's why I tell people it's not a, I don't think it's a joke. Like I'm not trying to, you know, diminish or make fun of anyone. I'm in fact I'm taking it very seriously. It's just I think people forget that they're in charge of their actions. And do you think the mediums being kind of a fight toward it is kind of because it's competition in a way? or um... Well, it, it started off real, real early on. Um, you know, one of the first things I found, um, you know, shared this had many kind of interesting discussions with uh, Brandon, is that some of the very first people who came out against the talking board were mediums and other spiritualists who were using them. And if you think about why that is, like, well, okay, wait a minute, why would someone who's using them all themselves, suddenly it's being sold to everyone, what, what's that? Well, okay, so before the talking board hit and was so popular, if you wanted to have um, some type of seance, you had to hire a medium, go to them and talk to someone. But if you wanted, um, you know, after the Ouija board for $1.50, you got to have this small seance right in your house. And you could do it over and over again. You didn't have to pay twice. So suddenly you were hitting an, an entire industry in the pocketbook really hard. So you didn't like that if you were a medium. So some of the first people coming out vocally against the talking board are these mediums, saying things that we're very familiar with today, right? Yeah. Don't use the Ouija board. This is opening doors you can't close. You don't know what you're dealing with. You need someone like me, someone who has experience dealing with this unseen room to guide you through. And that began a dialogue that's gone on for 125 years. Right. Yeah. And that seems to be a, a norm. People really believe that. Yeah. People believe, again, you know, I always laugh because I keep thinking, okay, well, how are people not seeing this? Oh, God. So I, you know, I'm going to be 41 this year. I lived and existed in a time before Star 69. 
So, you know, what is star 69? Well, that's the neat thing when someone calls you and you don't know who they are, you can bring them right back without knowing their number. I used to clean call people all the time. I, in fact, every day would reach out to people I didn't know. So I would have conversations with people I didn't know, not necessarily nice people. In fact, some people I learned some interesting language with when I would crank call them. And look, life is dangerous. You know, so I would say this, you can get hit crossing the street, but you know, you do the best you can. You look both ways. I want to get to the store on the other side. I'm, I'm going to cross the street, even though it's dangerous. I'm still going to do it. But, and I think that's what happens with the Ouija board. But if there's danger, there's danger in making contact with something, right? And what you're making contact with is up for argument. But, you know, people's belief that you're talking to, to a stranger, someone you don't know, you're letting them in. You wouldn't leave your door open. You know, people say all the time, oh, you wouldn't just leave your door open, would you? I'm like, well, you know, for generations of Americans, they did just leave their doors open. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, um, okay. And then I'm saying, okay, wait a minute. So you're telling me you've never sat on the T or the train or the metro and you've never talked to the stranger next to you ever in your life? You've never just struck up a conversation? You don't know anything about them. That's what you're doing with a Ouija board. And, and, and to the extent that the thing is there and doesn't leave, well, you know, I suppose anything is possible. But I would just challenge people to think in their heads millions and millions and millions sold. The Ouija board has always been sold in toy stores. If it really did the damage that we believe it to and the stories we hear, would it still be sold in those stores? I think yeah. the answer is pretty clear. Right. The evidence does not equal the belief, but it doesn't matter because the belief is what keeps us playing the board all these years later. And that belief it's what just made a blockbuster movie. Yeah, and tell us about that now. So you you were involved in that, right? Yeah, I, you know, I was really lucky to uh, to get involved more and more as time went on. It seemed, uh, you know, I, I you know real quickly I came home one night um, from a party and I saw an interview on MTV because there was no um, music videos left on MTV, so there was an interview. <laughs> And it was with uh, Brian Goldner, who was the head of, is the head of Hasbro. He was talking about how has, he really wanted to come in and change things and, and really kind of utilize some unexplored brands, Ouija being one of them. He was talking about how, how he had Ouija experiences. It was such a powerful brand that they weren't doing anything with. He wanted to do a movie. Well, that night I immediately went online, figured out what his email address might be, sent him an email. And uh, a couple hours later, my iPhone buzzed. This is back in 2009, and he answered me and said, Hey, Robert, great to meet you and talk to you. Yes, I think you could be an asset. Um, let me hook you over to Bennett Sneer, who was at that time the head of Hasbro Entertainment, the group in L.A. that was making the movies. Um, and so we started a conversation that went through many scripts, different writers, directors, and uh, the project was called off, then uh, back on, until it ended up with um, Styles White and Juliet Snowden as the writers and uh, and Styles as the director. And Blumhouse uh, is a production company along with uh, Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes and Universal. So it was this combination of some really interesting, talented people who put together this movie that, like I said, has brought the board to a new generation of people. And... Uh, I really liked it. I think they, uh, it was neat to hear some of the things that I had 
put in early on, made it into the movie, and they added some new musicians. Uh, so I don't know if you've seen the movie, yeah. or I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but they added looking through the planchette um, would let you see the ghost. Brilliant. Yeah. Like, great writing. Just perfect. It's just sitting right there. I wish that had been my idea. It totally wasn't. Um, <laughs> Well, I'd love to take credit for that because it was sitting right there. But it was a great idea. And so they, they because of the way they did the movie and how they used the board, they actually um, altered it for this generation, kind of gave it some new stuff that will now be part of it. But these kids today will think that since the beginning of Ouija boards, people were looking through the eye to see the other side. Yeah. Uh, and that's the beauty of it, that the Ouija board has these uh, Ouija stations that just take off. And, and I was lucky, so I, I got to I got to be part of consulting on their movie, and then uh, Universal called and asked me to um, be filmed for the DVD for the extras to talk about everything we're talking about now. Uh, and then then Universal asked me um, to come to LA for the Blu-ray DVD digital download release uh, earlier in in January, and I got to be part of that party and host. Uh, the media and uh, do lots of interviews and talk to them about how this was even happening. How are we having a uh, a movie about something 125 years old? Wow. It was it was a great time. So I've I've had a blast. It's been a wonderful experience. Hasbro, great people. Universal, wonderful people. Um, I just there there wasn't anyone that you know. Think Jam was the company who handled the event. They were awesome. Just yeah. really really great. A lot of fun people, um, and and all of them again. You're dealing with the media, and yet you can see them turn into little kids by just putting them in front of a Ouija board. There's an innate fear in our culture of it because of these movies and because people have told us they're bad, and and so um, it was really cool for me, who's involved in it and immersed in it all the time. I don't find Ouija boards scary at all. They're all over my house. My house is a living monument to the Ouija board. You know, people who are terrified to come in are Jehovah's Witness, uh, Mormons, <laughs> anyone who's, you know, like, and so, you know, but to me, it's like oh, nothing. So it was neat for me to be reminded, um, you know, by the mainstream and horror media that um, these things scare the crap out of people still. Yeah. And, um, you know, and yet that's why. So all these kids were scared of the movie. The movie was a number one for three weeks in a row. And uh, it's, I think, topped over $100 million worldwide. That was pre-DVD, Blu-ray release. Um, pretty good for a movie that only cost $5 million to make. Yeah, That's a pretty huge profit, which means you know, the movie was good, and two, um, it connected with something. You know, something that I don't know if even they... I think this is, you know, their wildest dreams. Like, you make a movie, you hope it does well, you never know. I think... Um, you know, everyone underestimated. I'm sure people today will slap themselves in the back and say, oh, we always knew it would be great. You know, it's perfect. There's a ready-made movie. You know, I don't believe that. I think, from what I remember, there were a lot of people who were like, I don't know how this works. And, um, you know, I, I think the beauty of the Ouija board is it always connects to the next generation. Always. It has been doing this for 125 years. But this leap was a pretty big one because, again, this time, kids live in a much more digital tap swipe world than um, they do saying, hey, everyone, be quiet. They, they live in a world where they're constantly bombarded with information. 
phones, their iPads, that people are talking to them. You know, like it's just constant information. And to play the Ouija board, you have to shut everything down. Everything goes off. Everything gets quiet. You have to concentrate. That's a lot to ask kids today. Yeah. It's just not the world they live in. And yet, boom, sales are up 300%, one of the top five presents for Christmas. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, how do you, and so you feel pretty good about the movie, the whole thing, the story? Well, I, you know, I, it, the movie, I would have liked to have seen it scarier. I wanted to see a rape <laughs> Um but, but that's me, and I don't have to sell a product, right? Like, Transborough still has to, I think they did a great job at a really tough task, and I'm sure most people won't look at it this way, but because I monitor and watch trends and everything, that um, what they did well was, and what they had to be careful of, was they had to be scary enough to sell tickets to the movie, to make a number one movie. But they couldn't be too scary that it would stop them selling their product. That's a really tough thing. So like, when you're making a movie off the product that has to continue to sell, you can't scare the crap out of everyone too much. Like You can't terrify them. You just need to make them like scared enough to want to try it. Mm-hmm. And I think they did that, you know, and, and, you know, it, it, it was a teeny bopper movie. It was for younger people, but I still saw myself jumping. I'm 41. It got me a couple times. I was yeah. like, Oh wow, that was good. Yeah. And I, I, you know, to the writer, to the writer's, um, style, Julia, they did a tremendous job, um, making you think that everything was resolved only to have a twist. So I thought for a movie that didn't have to be deep, they actually pulled it off, and I thought that's great. And, and I'm really anxious. Um, you know, I hope they use me somehow in Ouija 2, which there's already talk. It's been green-lighted, so that'll be fun to see if they, do they continue the story with these girls, or, you know, it could be anything. That's the beauty of the Ouija board, right? Like, they could pick the 1940s and do a movie about it. Yeah. It doesn't matter. What, what do you What do you think happens with the Ouija board? Then it's obvious that you're not really thinking uh, to be scared of one. Um, do you think well, I'm it's not just scared. Like, so I guess I view life differently. Like death is part of life, and I just accept it. Yeah. So the fact that there could be ghosts or not, then it, I'm not afraid of the unknown. I'm afraid of something that, like I'm afraid of sharp knives because I could get cut, and I know that because I have been cut. I am not afraid of ghosts because I have not been afraid of a ghost. That ghost has never done anything to me bad to make me, want, and I haven't seen it happen to anyone else other than I've heard their stories. And you know, then it's like, okay, well, you're drinking. You know, like I, I've, I've been on hundreds, thousands Ouija sessions, um, ghost hunts, and people, and I, I've even had experiences that, you know, for 10 minutes afterwards I thought for sure it was real, and then my brain starts kicking in, and going, oh, you know, I actually really could have been this or this, and it's like, oh, yeah, I guess it could have. So I I want it to be true, just like everyone else. I want the Ouija board to help me connect to the other side. I don't know if it's possible to connect to the other side, but I'm going to keep trying to see if I can have that experience. And so I'm a skeptic, but I want to believe. So I keep doing it. Right. You know, I'm not the kind of skeptic who's like, this is bull crap. I've never been a stupid waste of time. I don't believe that. I don't think, I don't think any adventure is a waste of time. You know, whether you actually make contact with the other side or whether you're making contact with your, um, subconscious, all of those things are getting to know you better. You know, like understanding 
the things you're capable of and what you can do. None of that stuff is a bad exercise as far as I'm concerned. Right. And so, so you have a pretty open mind toward paranormal then? Completely open. I, I want it to be all true. You know, I just haven't had that experience or proof. And, and I, I really like the people in the, in the paranormal community. You know, when I, when I started 20 years ago, um, I'm thinking, okay, I'm a historian and, um, you know, like, this is, this group is pretty freaky. You know, this scares me. And the funny thing was, it was the reverse, right? Like, so this group, they're, they're trying to investigate this in the most scientific hands-on way they can. And they're looking at me like, this guy likes Ouija boards. He's a freak. Yeah. You know, like, it's a, it was a funny, funny thing. And what I like about the paranormal community is they're very open, you know, to, uh, discussions and talking and, and, uh, it's a really neat group of people. They're all just looking for answers. And, and, and again, they're coming to the table with their own loss. You know, if you talk to everyone, why do you want to do this? Either they'll say, I had this really weird experience when I was little or that I just want to explore. Or you'll hear people say, you know, I lost someone and, uh, then I had, then this happened to me. And so, you know, again, we all live different lives. People come from different socioeconomic places, um, different parts of the country, different parts of the world. One of the things that ties us together is death. And so the paranormal world to me is, is a unique bunch of people who wholeheartedly accept death into their lives and are trying to understand it and explain it and experience it um, you know, with an open mind. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And so when buying a board, <laughs> is there something you need to look for or that you suggest? Like, uh, uh, can well, some, can, I, well, I mean, you know, it's a question. Yeah. Does, do no. people have to look no, for a store-bought board or do they, should yeah. they look for an old one? Or It's a great question. And I would say that for Hasbro, they would prefer you look to make sure it's an official Ouija board. Yeah. <laughs> so if you buy it, um, it's theirs. Um, and so, you know, again, just a quick explanation. Uh, Ouija and Ouija, however you pronounce it, it's the same word. It was originally Ouija when it was named in 1890. By 18, um, by 1920s, people were saying they were Ouijian, huh. and so it got shortened to Ouija, and so Ouija, Ouija, it doesn't matter. Um, that's a brand, just like you might say, pass a Kleenex, but you really mean tissue because Kleenex is a brand. Or can you give me a Xerox copy? You really mean a photocopy because Xerox is a brand. Ouija is a brand been around 125 years. We use it synonymous with spirit board, talking boards, witch boards, but it's actually just one of those things. So, um, you know, for people who are looking for one, some people believe that you should only use your board, one that only you really use, uh, you know, with other people, and so you should buy a new one. And other people say, no, you should buy old ones because they've already... Have, they already have kind of the energy in it to make contact, and it's totally up to you. The great thing about uh, talking boards are they often depict the decade that they were made in. So whatever was seen as mystical at the time is often the designs and um, different symbols that are on them. So, you know, if you're like Egyptian, you know, look at that time. The 1930s and 40s, you saw a big pickup of lithographed paper. So you got to see some really cool pictures. And, and I notice now they may not collect boards, but they but a lot of people are hanging them on the walls. It's just unique art. So you'll see swamis, and then you get into the 60s, you'll see horoscopes. And 
um, you know, all kinds of neat stuff. So you use the board that you believe um, helps you. You know, if you, if you think, hey, I like this one for some reason, I think this is going to work, then that's the board you should use. And you don't have to go out and buy one. You know, you want to make it yourself, you know, rip up a bunch of pieces of paper, put the letters and numbers on them, yes and no, put them in a circle, take a glass, put it upside down, put your fingers on it, and let it point it out. Yeah. Or just get a piece of paper and write the letters and numbers on it and get a little, you know, shot glass and use a pencil and just point at it. You, know, you can do these... Any anyone can do them. You can make them at home. Yeah, you can have a shot of whiskey every time, and uh, you know that spirits <laughs> of another kind. I yeah. love them. <laughs> and so, so it doesn't matter if you home make it; it's not any less or any better. It's just how you do it. Exactly. It's just what you prefer. Some people like you know they do like to make them themselves. Other people say no, they want one that's older. It just calls to them, makes them, you know. And, and as we know. Anything that puts you in the mood to succeed for something helps, right? Being relaxed, uh, setting the mood, lighting candles, all of those things. Do I think spirits care if you light a candle or not? Probably not. But you care, right? Because it puts you in the mood. You know, when you dim the lights, you light a candle. Um, this, the movie did another great thing. People often say you should say a prayer beforehand, um, surround yourself with white light. The movie incorporated a little line to start it off and to um, circle the board with the planchette each time for every player that's there. All of those things, it's a ritual. So it, it makes us feel like we are doing something to help the communication. And if you believe it, it will. It's just, it's just as simple as that. And so you know, why do we have rituals for all of the crazy things we do? And we have superstitions and you know, we, do, we wear certain things when the Super Bowl is on because we all believe that if we don't wear the shirt that we always wore when they won, they'll lose. You know? so is it really going to make them lose? I don't know. Yeah. But it, it certainly makes us feel better. So there's no real special rules to using it. If you buy it, go out and buy a board or make one. Uh, there's nothing you really have to do. I don't think so, but there are people who believe that, you know, you get it, you need to clear the board and, um, you know, take it to someone who knows how to do the clearings and, and different things. So, um, yeah, it's a, again, it's all what your belief system is. You know, if you think it's all a joke and it's just for fun, then you probably don't have to worry too much about it at all. If you really believe you're going to make contact, you should do it in a way that is um, thoughtful. And, and I, I, here's the biggest piece of advice I can give everybody. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's that works for everybody. Um, come up with your questions ahead of time. I have seen this happen too many times that once it starts moving and they ask the first question, like, is there anyone there, that they suddenly don't know what to ask. And so, oh, my gosh, here they go. They've got the thing working, and, and their mind has gone completely blank. They have no idea what to ask this thing. And so I would say come up with your list of questions at a time. And then once you're in the groove and you're, you're kind of used to this happening, you won't be so awestruck. Yeah. And playing alone is okay, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think it defeats the purpose of why it was made in the first place, which was to be collaborative. It was to do something to pass the time with friends. And so I would say if you can do the Ouija board by yourself, you probably don't need it. You, you would at that point probably believe you're a medium he doesn't need a tool to make contact with the other side. This would just be like how you're doing it. Um, but, of course, there are people who believe that if you use it by yourself, you're potentially getting yourself in trouble. If you believe that, don't do it. 
If you don't believe it, it's not going to do anything to you. Um, and again, if something bad happens, stop playing it. Just stop it. Um, but I found that for people who are, you know, Ouija virgins, who've never had the experience, that the more people they play with, the faster it starts working and the better it works. So if you can get four or five people to start, that's going to work better. And then start paring them down. And the more you do it, the better you'll get. And, and that's because we don't like things to, we don't want to stop. Like, it's hard to let go. We're, we're creatures of control. We don't want to let our hands move by themselves. We don't want to feel led. In fact, in the beginning, I often move the planchette around for people so they, they can feel how it's supposed to feel when they touch it. It's like, otherwise they push it too hard or they won't touch it at all. It's like, it doesn't move if you hold it down and it won't move if you don't put your hands on it. You have to like, see how it goes and feel. Um, so yeah, I would just say do it with more people um, than less in the beginning and write down your questions ahead of time and have someone there to write down the answers because so many times people, you know, it's, again, it's spelling things out letter by letter. Yeah, and if so you don't write down what the letters are. You don't know what it says. Yeah. <laughs> and and what what about language then? Um, does it matter what language it's in if you're trying to reach someone that's French or German or? Um, well, I would think it's it's like in anything else. If, if you are, I mean, you should just think about this. I'm sure there are people who have reached spirits that don't speak the language they speak, but in general, you don't hear that as much, and and that's probably because whatever they're speaking to speaks their language. And I mean, imagine going into a bus station in an international place, and you start going, hi, does anyone know where the closest Dunkin' Donuts is? Well, the people who don't speak English, guess what? Aren't going to answer you because they have no idea what you said. So the people who are going to say, oh, the Dunkin' Donuts is over here, are going to be people who speak English. So just from a logical standpoint, I think when you ask a question in one language, the people who will answer you are people who speak that same language. And that's why we don't see too much on that crossover. Yeah. And one one last question there I had for you was the um, about the banning of it. Like, uh, you know, there's stories that it's been banned in England, uh, the, the Ouija board, and now none of that's true, is it? It's never really been officially banned. There have been uh, groups and people who said they were going to ban the Ouija board, and then they went on to actually try to ban fortune-telling and, and um, kind of occult devices that bans have never gone through. So, um, and not in modern times anyway. Um, yeah. You know, witchcraft was illegal um, for a long time. And I suppose talking to the dead, divining, would be part of it. But in our modern times, no. Uh, you know, in, in, there was a great case in El Cerrito, California, where um, an entire town was affected by this family using a Ouija board because their daughter, Jenny Morrow, was... You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.